I'm Adam Ragusea, and here's how I failed this week. I forgot to hit record. I was filming a recipe for cinnamon rolls, and baking recipes are typically pretty easy to shoot, or at least they are not very stressful to shoot because they move so slowly. They're hard to shoot because it's hard to expose for flour. Flour is too bright for cameras, and I'm not the only food YouTuber to report that problem, but at least baking recipes move slowly, which gives you lots of time to set up your shots and to deal with problems, like the flour being too reflective. Everything was going swimmingly with the cinnamon rolls. I mixed the pre-ferment dough, I let it rise, I mixed the rest of the dough together and let that rise for a couple of hours, I went and did my workout while I was waiting, and everything was on schedule for me to finish the rolls around 2.15, thus giving me just enough time to walk down and pick up the older kid from school. I pulled the fully risen dough out, I rolled it thin, and right when I was about to smear it with melted butter... I had to do a battery swap on the camera. So I stopped recording, put in the new battery, set up the shot again, smeared on the butter, scattered on the cinnamon sugar filling, and that's when I realized I never resumed recording after the battery swap. This has happened to me before. I don't know why I just phrased that passively (laughs) as though someone else is doing it to me. That's not true. I, I do this to myself. I forget to hit record sometimes. And sometimes that's fine because I can just hit record and do it again, whatever it was. But with the cinnamon rolls, I had missed an irreversible step. There was no way for me to scrape the filling off of the dough so that I could put it back on again. I know that because I tried. I couldn't just do it again on another dough because I did not have another dough. It had taken me almost four hours to make that dough, including the fermentation time. So I had a total come apart where I might have thrown a chair. I didn't throw a chair. I put it down very hard. And Lauren came in and asked me what's wrong. And I told her and she said, it's okay. And I said, it's not okay. And she said, well, it has to be. And I said, don't yell at me for being upset. And I didn't actually say that. I yelled that much louder than she had yelled the first thing. And that was probably my biggest failure that day. With the second biggest being that I forgot to hit record when I smeared on the butter. I concluded my little come apart. I resumed filling the rolls. I rolled them. I cut them, got them in the oven. And while they baked, I started getting a second dough going. I shot the rolls coming out of the oven. I shot the icing, all of that done. And then hours later, just as I was losing the natural light in the kitchen for the day, my second dough had fully risen. I rolled it out. The shape and surface texture of it was noticeably different from the first dough, which you can see in the video if you look closely. And when I'm smearing the butter on the dough in the video, that is the stand-in dough. That is the dough from four hours later. That is the stunt dough, filling in for the crucial shot for which I forgot to hit record. And Lauren said she was sorry she yelled at me, and I said I was sorry I yelled at her because we're pretty good at saying sorry these days, as long as she says it first. And I turned 40 this week, thanks to everybody who said something nice about that. This episode, two of the Adam Ragusea podcast is sponsored by Monk Pack. Monk Pack makes these shockingly delicious low-sugar granola bars that I have been destroying pre- and post-workout lately. They taste, to me, 
completely indistinguishable from the like garbage granola bars out there that can be even worse than a standard candy bar from a nutritional perspective. Monk pack bars taste as good as those, and yet each one is 150 calories or less, only two or three net carbs. They're keto-friendly if you're into that, fair bit of protein, lots of healthy fats from all of the nuts, all the almonds and pumpkin seeds and everything, and they taste like fancy, sophisticated candy bars. The caramel sea salt is probably my favorite, but almond butter cocoa chip is great. Uh, coconuts, blueberry almond vanilla, sea salt dark chocolate. That's what this one is. All really good. Chiefly sweetened with allulose, which I think is the most promising of all the low-calorie sweeteners. There's no weird aftertaste with it. Mm. They source it from non-GMO corn, if that's an issue for you. The bars are gluten-free, if that's an issue, plant-based, and they're just absolutely delicious, soft, chewy, super convenient power snacks that taste like a child's candy bar. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product at monkpack.com by using my code Ragusia at checkout. M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, then enter code Ragusia at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. There's a link in the show notes. If you don't like it, they'll give you an exchange or a refund, whichever you want. Thank you, Monk Pack. Olive face. Olive face is a joke that you're going to hear being made in a few minutes right here by my dear friend, Ben Harrison. You'll hear us recapping the 1996 movie Big Night. We're going to recap food-related movies on this new podcast from time to time, and today is one of those times. We're going to recap Big Night, and you'll hear me comment on the fact that an Italian chef in this movie is being played by a non-Italian actor, and you'll hear my friend Ben describe said casting choice as an incidence of olive face in reference to the purportedly olive complexion of Southern Italians such as myself. I think that's a pretty funny joke, and I feel bad that I just spoiled it for you. But I want to talk about it. I want to analyze the joke, which of course is the worst thing you can ever do to a joke. Ben's impromptu coinage of olive face is a reference to blackface, which is a name for a real thing that is not funny. Blackface is an actual problem. Olive face is not an actual problem, which is why it's funny. And why isn't it a real problem? Why is it okay for non-Italians to play Italians? Why is it okay for people to make crude stereotypes about Italians and Italian-Americans such as myself? Why is it cool for Nintendo to have their New York Italian-American plumber character say things like, bada beep, bada boop, bada bing, or whatever he says? Hashtag not my Mario. Mario didn't talk. There was no real sound samples in the NES, so Mario didn't talk. I don't know when Mario started talking, but I do not approve. Though that is not because of the Italian-American stereotypes. Those are fine. I just don't like that Mario talks at all. Why isn't Olive Face broadly regarded as offensive? It's not offensive to me or almost anyone else because there is no evidence that Italian-Americans are being significantly harmed by the stereotypes applied to us. That's why. Italian-Americans are not struggling for authentic representation in media. We're doing fine. Thanks. True, this was not always quite the case. When impoverished 
dark-skinned, devoutly Catholic Southern Italian immigrants like my great-grandparents started flooding into the United States, a country then dominated by Protestants of Northern European descent. These Italians were met with de facto and some de jure discrimination and even some violence, some lynchings. But the scale of this treatment was nothing in comparison to the horrors that white Americans visited upon black Americans during the same period and in the period before and in the period after. Italian Americans did fine. The political and economic power they were quickly able to amass and wield was and is enormous. The establishment of Columbus Day as a holiday in the U.S. is hardly the most important piece of evidence of Italian-American power, but it is the most emblematic piece. They said, hey, we Southern Italian immigrants, we are not foreigners in America. We discovered America. And white Anglo-Saxon Protestant America said, oh, yeah. Let's make Columbus Day a holiday as a gesture of inclusion to Italians. Despite the fact that Christopher Columbus was Genoese, born in northern Italy, and his adult life really had a lot more to do with present-day Spain and Portugal, and despite the fact that he never actually set foot in the present-day United States, despite the fact that he never in his whole life accepted that this is not Asia, and despite the fact that he didn't discover shit, there were already people with advanced civilizations living here, and despite the fact that he was a murderer and a kidnapper and a slaver, and his governorship of Hispaniola was considered appallingly brutal and tyrannical by the monarchs back in Spain who sent him there in the first place, and who themselves knew a thing or two about brutality and tyranny. Yeah, sure. Let's declare Columbus Day. That would be the enlightened and inclusive thing to do, those white Anglo-Saxon Protestants said at the time. I think about that often when I think about my own moral certitude in my own time. I wonder if the beliefs that seem enlightened to me now will always be regarded as such. Anyway, Google it. Italian-Americans today are significantly richer than the average American. They're more educated, higher status, all of that. There's really no evidence that Italian-Americans are harmed or oppressed by the culture at large, which is why Olive Face isn't a thing and nobody is trying to cancel Nintendo for that stupid Mario voice, nor should they. The accent is fine. The fact that Mario talks at all is not fine, but that's just my opinion. And why did I feel the need to voice any of these opinions I laid out just now? Well, because I think it's important for us to say, to spell out why some things are okay and why some things aren't okay in our own estimation. I think it's really bad when we just assume that all right-thinking people know what's what. They know why that's offensive. Well, maybe they don't. And maybe you don't. Maybe you've never had to think it through because you've never had to defend your beliefs to anyone. Or maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Nintendo should be canceled and blackface is hilarious, innocent fun. If you believe that, fine. I mean, not fine. Fuck you. You're wrong, especially about the blackface thing. <laughs> it is not fun and innocent. But at least I told you why I believe that to be true. I spelled out my reasoning. I didn't just assume that it was obvious to anyone with any moral center at all. And maybe my reasoning will persuade you, and maybe not. I don't know. I just know that olive face is a really funny joke. Keep one timpano in the oven for Louis Prima. Our recap of Stanley Tucci's Big Night 
is coming up next. This episode of the Ragusea Pod is sponsored by Seed. Seed Daily Symbiotic, which is a two-in-one pre- and probiotic. This is the first in a pipeline of clinically studied next-generation products for gut health. Whenever I talk about gut health, I feel it's important to emphasize that the research on the subject is still in a relatively early phase, and Seed is totally cool with me saying that right now. But the research is really promising and exciting. These little capsules contain 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains of bacteria to support gastrointestinal health. I have some problems in that area that I'm not going to spell out for you, but I have absolutely experienced relief in my first few weeks of taking seed. There's reason to believe the bacteria in here can support skin health, uh, micronutrient synthesis in your gut can support gut immune function, and the capsules themselves are very cleverly designed for like actual bioavailability. There's an inner capsule and an outer capsule, all with the aim of delivering like actual live probiotics to the end of the small intestine. Another cool thing is that they come in this really heavy, sturdy glass jar that you can reuse. All of your refills just come in a little compostable bag like that. Go to seed.com slash Ragusea and get 15% off your first month supply of Seeds Daily Symbiotic by using my code Ragusea at checkout. I also have a link in the show notes, seed.com slash Ragusea. Use my code Ragusea for 15% off your first month supply. Thank you, Seed. Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica are professional Star Trek episode recappers. And I love that I live in a time and place where that actually is a job held by more than one person. Ben and Adam have two very successful podcasts on the Maximum Fun Network. There's The Greatest Generation, where they started out recapping Star Trek The Next Generation, and they've since moved on through DS9 and into Voyager now. Their other podcast is The Greatest Discovery, where they started out recapping Star Trek Discovery, but have since moved on to review all of the new Trek shows that the Trek industrial complex is pumping out right now. Ben and Adam are smart and funny. They cook. They're both former filmmakers by trade, and they love talking about movies of all kinds. And they are kind enough now to help me debut a new segment on the pod where we will review food-related movies. The segment is called Food on Film. While the Adam Ragusea podcast does not yet have theme music, Food on Film has theme music that I'm about to play. It is a stupid little song called No Weather in California, a song that literally came to me in a dream. And I woke up and I thought that would be a good theme song for like a movie review podcast. And now I kind of have a movie review podcast, so... Roll the theme music for Food on Film. There is no weather in California. This can't be a song about the rain. Try Hollywood, dear, but I warn ya. You'll be home to me again. We're big fans of yours, and you made the music for our show. So uh, we're uh, this is like this is symbiosis, man. It almost undersells you made the music for our show. Like you've made the music for many of our shows, many of the yeah. the versions of our shows. 
You've we've, really... we've made like single episode one-off yeah. <laughs> podcasts that you've made entire suites of theme music for. <laughs> well, see, that was that was back when I had like a, a straight job and uh, I had no creative outlets, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh... Now that you do, we can't get you on the phone anymore. So we are here to discuss. Boy, you know one of. Surely one of the most foodie food films of all time, right? Uh, yeah, I can't absolutely. imagine a more foodie film. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't even have a thief or a wife in it. <laughs> Just got cooks. Oh, I got it right, yes. It does have um, lovers. Yes. And, and love. Yeah. Yes, the, the, uh, the interrelation between the food-making and love-making arts is very much foregrounded in this film. Have you ever had like like I love I love cooking I love putting on a big feast I, like I'm usually taking lead on Thanksgiving and Both things of you, like right? that I I cannot imagine like like knocking off in the middle of prepping a big Thanksgiving feast and going and having sex twice and then coming back to the kitchen and taking it over the line. <laughs> That's well, why you want to go low and slow both in the kitchen and in the bedroom if right <laughs> if that's your plan for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm just, but is I'm, it not implied that at least one of those bangs is is business, right? That uh, that Segundo has to have, I mean, has to has to have sex with Il- Isabella Rossellini, right? Because there's a he, he needs it for his business. There's some kind of business exchange there, which is why he would do the unthinkable uh-huh. of having sex with right. Isabella Rossellini. The the unthinkable and yet the thinkable. <laughs> I've thought about <laughs> the unthinkable um, and the all I can think about. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like thinking about the size and beauty of this kitchen, and then all of the uh, making out with Minnie Driver and Isabella Rossellini that Stanley Tucci, the writer and co-director of this film, gets to do. It all starts to crystallize what he was up to. Well, I guess he, uh, there's, there's, there's certainly this. films where it's like there's a male auteur who definitely the whole exercise is just like, I can't get beautiful women to kiss me in real life, so I'm going to make a movie <laughs> where, I, where that happens necessarily. Yeah. On the other hand, though, like the Tooch, 35 years old Tooch with hair and the slick back widow's peak, mm, that Tooch like can get it. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's an anti-pasto if ever there was one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I suppose we just start at the beginning. The camera opens uh on a a young Italian waiter sauntering into work. And no, it's not an Italian waiter. It is Latin heartthrob Mark Anthony. Yeah. I watched this with my wife and she was like, that guy looks just like Mark Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I got news for you. <laughs> I had exactly the opposite conversation with my wife Ben, which which oh, was yeah. which was hey, that's Mark Anthony and she's like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say she was like, "No fucking way." <laughs> no. No, I had exactly the opposite interaction with my wife than you had with yours. <laughs> well, but you it's 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 demonstrated that your wife likes tall men because you are very tall. And Mark yes. Anthony is not. Yeah, I guess not. He's he's hardly as tall as the broom he's pushing at the end yeah. of the film. He's he's a he's a he's a fun size. He's pocket. Um, and uh, I I looked it up, and he had not crossed over into English language pop stardom at this point. I mean, he was huge in Spanish language. And I, I I wonder why he why he wanted to do this. Yeah, the unspeaking role. It, it 
it's um he's kind of the R two D two of the film, right? <laughs> like it's sort of ever present, but in the never sense has that a he's line. short. Or how else? <laughs> yeah, and that uh, he has like a little uh, torch that comes out yeah, of yeah, retractable uh, thing is coming at him all the time yeah. to yeah. provide the Deus Ex Machina. Right. I thought he was great. I thought his performance was really was really fun. He had so many great little moments where he's he's just in the corner of a frame mm-hmm. doing something that catches your eye and, and really like adds to the texture of the film. When he puts his uh, jacket on Mini Driver at the end, you're like, fuck you, Mark Anthony. Don't do that. Don't get involved in this. <laughs> well, especially given that like he has to like reach up above his head like he's, right. you know, <laughs> doing yeah. a military press. Like he's like yeah. he's dressing a mannequin. I don't think of Minnie Driver as being a particularly statuesque woman, but she really towers over just about everyone else she in this movie. She is statuesque in every sense of that term in this film. Like when she yeah. walks out of the sea, like she yeah. walks into the sea out of frustration at the end of the film. And it's it made me, because my wife, whenever she's very frustrated with the situation, she just says, I just want to walk into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> is that inspired by this film? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think she's seen it. I feel like she does that trick, like where you hit an elevator and you're standing behind a couch and you go down. Like, like she's in very shallow water there because when she finally uh, oh, stands yeah. up, she just basically like straightens her legs. Mini yeah. driver could do mime. Mini driver could do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of uh, like the the Baywatch people used this technique a lot. Like a lot of the yeah. rescues are meant to be taking place like way out in the. In the in the waves, and they're just in like thirteen inches of surf. <laughs> <laughs> well, the insurance company, you know, it's, it's right, got to right, do it exactly. So, Mark Anthony sa- saunters into work into the lar- the most spacious professional kitchen ever, and inside it, cooking is an Italian chef. No, actually, it's a Lebanese guy named Tony Shaloub. <laughs> yeah, and I had a thought. I had a thought when I, when when this occurred to me. That like only one of these guys is vaguely Italian and it's the Tooch, right? Right. And so there's, on the rare occasion that I am foolish enough to look at my my Google alerts, right? For mentions of my name. (laughs) I I have seen that there are sort of anti-Semitic corners of the internet that have determined that I am secretly Jewish. Wow. No, their their reasoning being uh, all of this, you know, the nose and the the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you have dark hair. Right. I don't know why you're so interested in comments on your YouTube channel on Stormfront. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it was a very unwise evening, right? Okay. Yeah. I just I made a number of poor choices that night. One of them was opening my Google alerts, right? Right. <laughs> but what I wanted to say to these boys, if I knew how to comment in this space, which I don't. What I wanted to say to them is like, dude, have you the Everyone in the Mediterranean looks like this. The whole Mediterranean <laughs> basin, everybody from along it, we all look like this, okay? Right. Which is why a Puerto Rican guy and a Lebanese guy can walk into a kitchen with the tooch and they, they theoretically look like family, right? They all read as as uh, as part of the same group, yeah. And um, I think... Um, uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they made this movie today, if they would, if they would have gotten weird like blowback for that, because there are like you know, if it was pe- some nationality other than Italian, yeah, sure. But Italian is like, I mean, Italians are famously cool about depictions of their culture. Like, I'm sure they'd be fine. Yeah, 
<laughs> I'm just saying, like, there are so many, like, people in right-wing media now that are, like, just that, like, all they do all day is make extremely bad faith arguments about, well, if this oh, is, you know. <laughs> they would point out the hypocrisy, hypocrisy of it, you mean, right? right I see, yeah. right. Um, yeah. And then we would need to dig into all of the numbers about how um, Italian Americans are really substantively uh, disadvantaged in the United States. They're really terrible income. <laughs> nope, nope. They don't inhabit any positions of power. Right. Is this exactly. what your show is about, Goose? Like, are we doing <laughs> are we doing it right for the Italians? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, let's 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 use that as a transition. So, so the brothers, the Tooch, who is Secundo, and uh, Tony Shalhoub, who is Primo, because he's first in birth, the firstborn, yeah, firstborn. He stands to inherit the title and and all the land of of their family. Right, exactly. Um, but Segundo seems to be the one in charge, right? Like it's um, yeah. Primo is. I think is it implied that Primo is not. Uh, I kind of got that sense, yeah, that he's he's um, maybe on the spectrum or yeah. or in some way. Like, I mean, Secundo says at, at one point in the movie that, like, Primo basically can't take care of himself. Right. And uh, that's only hinted at in dialogue, but, um, but yeah, I kind of got that sense. <laughs> I didn't know if it was the idea that's, that, that Primo is, is, has, ha, you know, Primo has problems, or if it's part of the kind of broader, um, sort of uh, infantilization of men that happens in, in Italian culture <laughs> to some extent that is like, that is expressed really, I think very explicitly in the film by like these two grown ass men having the same bedroom and all that kind of stuff. Like that sort of men in, in that kind of culture stay children until they are married. Right. Are you guys only children? Both of you, do you have siblings? I am an only, I'm, I mean, I know, I know Ben's answer to this question, but goose, do you have <laughs> siblings? Yeah, I have Tony Ragusia, who has a uh, YouTube channel about tiny trees. Is tiny trees code for marijuana? <laughs> that would be much more profitable than his <laughs> existing YouTube channel about bonsai, but uh, yeah. I mean, just because you have specific interests that you are uh, extremely excited about and focused on, that doesn't make you uh, non-euronormative in your brother's eyes, right? Like... I guess what I'm trying to say is like in a in a sibling relationship I think there's I think it's natural that one falls into the caretaker category for the other just because that's how families tend to operate. So I never saw the brothers relationship as one of primo needing secundo's care. I saw it as like one brother recognizing that the other brother uh isn't as good as some things as he is and when you're family you just kind of pick up that kind of slack. I Damn, never read I it the brother. way you guys did. I gotta get a brother. It's never too I, late. I think you'd hate that, Ben. I think <laughs> I think you're better off. Okay. Yes, because as your business partner Adam Pranica knows, you are or is implying you are apparently terrible in dealing with other people a, a or collaborative, sharing. yeah, uh, creative projects. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, their uh, their food is too Italian in this movie. Too it's, it's not, Italian, not so, going over well with the American palate. A couple of rubes stumble into this Jersey Shore re resta restaurante, <laughs> and uh, unassuming, uh, unassumingly, uh, no, not unassumingly. Um, when you don't know what you're in for, what's the word for that? 
Mm. Um, ignorant? Ignorant. <laughs> let's go with ignorantly. Ignorantly order the risotto, yeah. uh, a seafood risotto, and it comes out in here. Let's let's listen. Excuse me. I did, didn't you say that this was going to be rice with seafood? Uh, yes. Yeah. That is, um, it is uh, Italian arborio rice. The best. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with shrimp and scallop and... I, I just don't see anything that looks like a shrimp or a scallop. I just, well, I'm just, I mean, it's just it's not what I expected. I like how she's about to say disappointed and then she stops herself. Because even if, she, really, I mean, she, even though she's, they're very much painted very broadly as this just absolutely no finer graces New Jersey couple, <laughs> right? Like she right. knows to stop herself and not say disappointed. She just says, not what I've expected. There's something so familiar about the uh in the statement by Secundo there, because I know we've all worked in in retail or restaurant mm. environments where a customer has outed themselves as a dumb. And <laughs> and you need to give yourself that moment to react in yeah. in a in a kind way, in a in a forgiving way. And uh is the half a second he needs to find the words to not totally destroy this woman at the dinner table right like I, i've i've heard myself say that uh so many times before like oh yeah yeah you need it as a crutch the crutch uh i was a busboy in a restaurant that had a michelin star and Whoa, i seriously took a complaint in, in the in the bay area right uh in new york um, oh, new york oh, okay and uh, I took a complaint from a customer who had ordered the burger, which was a like one of the burgers that got talked about as maybe the best in New York at the time. And she was clearly a very rich woman uh, who came in with like her little children and ordered the burger. Mm-hmm. And it was very, uh, it was very medium rare. It was on the rare side of medium rare, and. She had never encountered pink meat in the middle of a burger before and like was complaining that the kitchen had clearly made a mistake. And I was like, that's actually how the burger is. (laughs) No, you said, ah, yeah, that's actually how the burger is. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it didn't go over well. She didn't, she she sent it back and didn't have to pay for it. And, uh, you know, so on the other hand, should you not as her server have asked her how she wanted that burger? Or is that not what we do in 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 starred restaurants, ristorante? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that that's an interesting moment, both in this movie and in like restaurants in general. Like, this was a burger that was prepared in that way. They didn't prepare it any other way at that restaurant, and that's like a choice that was made by the chef and the ownership of the restaurant. I was just, I was, I was the bearer of that news. I didn't have any like any say one way or another. No, nobody could. Like you couldn't get uh, a different type you of see, cheese. You see, ma'am, the the <laughs> the juicy must be Lucy. Yeah, uh, I'm making three dollars an hour plus tips. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but but yeah, like there the the tension at the beginning of this movie is can Primo change his food to appeal to the palates of the potential customers he has, or is he? so particular about it that he refuses to. And and I think there, there are good arguments in both directions, you know? Well, to dig into the technicalities of it, I suppose the implication is that it's a, it's a seafood risotto that's made with, like, I'm sure a freshly made beautiful seafood stock, right? And that is what's right. chiefly seafoodish about it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it probably also has some little teeny bits of scallop and 
shrimp, yeah. etc. Right? We don't get an, an ECU on the plate. We did not. Um, we don't get those until later. Yeah. But boy, do we get them later. Yeah. This is like Jaws, you know? You see the shark, but like toward the end. <laughs> so you see a little teeny, teeny tip of the shark fin is in this risotto. And like, <laughs> it is said in the movie that the reason that you don't put too much protein, animal protein into the risotto is that like arborio rice is the best, right? Like you, it's all about the rice, right? Yeah. And what I wonder, what I don't feel I know is like, is that really how they would have felt about it? Like Southern, Southern Italian, like they're from Calabria, right? Like, so, which is like mm-hmm. the, the tip of the boot, right? Poor ass place, the, right? This is, this is spicy, the spicy part of Italy, right? Yes. These spicy. They put, they put chilies and stuff. So yes, hot, hot climate. So all of the, uh, the post Columbian exchange crops do very well there. Um, and, uh, and this is why, you know, Spices and uh, tomatoes and all of that. That's that's what and and wheat because they're broke, so they don't have any, any actual meat. They just eat starch, right? And this is why they eventually uh, emigrated to the United States, and why everyone in the United States thinks Italian food is Southern Italian food, right? This is why, right? So what I wonder is, like, did they? Would they have thought? Would the guys back in Calabria have thought that the reason you don't put in too much? shellfish is because you need to keep the emphasis on the rice because the rice is sacred and blah, 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 blah. I question that. Or did they just not put in enough animal protein because they didn't have that much, right? And to, to bolster my my obvious favoring <laughs> of the second theory there. You're just reading the IMDb pedant comments right now, Goose. Like, <laughs> Aboreofan69 wrote, wrote this comment exactly, and I know you're reading it verbatim. These people showed up in New York and New Jersey. And what did they do as soon as they got to this unbelievably, this this land of plenty, this sea of abundance that they found here? They started putting freaking meatballs the size of their, what they imagined the size of their balls to be, like, (laughs) in, in their food, right? It's what they wanted. They wanted more meat. They just didn't have it. Mm. And I wonder if, like, this whole... It's it's a my broader kind of thought, question about this film is that like, is it actually like a '90s mentality that is being superimposed into? When does this film take place? In the '60s, we think, like right? early '50s, I think. Okay, so basically, in the '90s, you've got like you know everybody fancy in New York, everybody that you know Ben Harrison would have been hanging out with at the time. <laughs> um, it was all just like, oh, actually, see, in Italy, they don't have meatballs with the spaghetti you yeah. know they actually they, they actually they either have the meatballs or they have the spaghetti and it was this realization that italian american food was not italian food which is true and an important and valuable realization to have but that right. doesn't mean that italian food is bad italian american food is bad and indeed in the next scene when segundo goes over to uh, bilbo baggins's place um <laughs> sorry what's <laughs> literally what's that actor's name um ian holm ian holm ian, ian, yeah so, um, oh, he, he, what's his character's name? It's uh, Pascal. So he goes, they go to Pascal's, right? Which is sort of painted to be a very successful 
Italian, shamelessly Italian American joint. And we get a Goodfellas esque, like one shot of, of uh, the Tooch walking through this restaurant. And there's all kinds of wonderful things happening here. And we see guys like, you know, shovel, there's like a, like actual like shoveling of caprese salad, like that we see. And there's (laughs) big giant meatballs and all this kind of stuff. And I think we are given to understand in the audience that this place is trash, but all I wanted to do was go there. It, yeah, looked awesome. it looked awesome. <laughs> the food looked great. Everyone was having a great time. What the also, fuck is wrong with that? A ton of booths. Like, there's something very uncomfortable seeming about the restaurant that Primo and Secondo operate. It's so mm. bright. The chairs look uncomfortable. It doesn't look like a place anyone would want to linger and have a fun evening out. But Tony Shalhoub could come storming out of the kitchen and yell at you for yell at not, you. not liking your food. <laughs> no, what you notice is the size of the tables, right? Like instead of the big padded booth, it's those teeny tables. And I think it's where it's just it's a venue where people from the Mediterranean basin, as they are wont to do, can practice their long honed art. Of very large men sitting at teeny tiny tables, sipping from little, little cups, right? Because that's just whatever, like Greeks do that, the Lebanese, the Italians, they all do that. They love playing with scale in the Mediterranean, you know? <laughs> that's right, exactly. It's all forced perspective. That's what it's about. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pratica, go ahead. I mean, it's weird, like that other restaurant is made to look clownish for for all its excesses, but but you're totally right, like... They don't take any responsibility for how uncomfortable their own restaurant might be seen by the neighborhood. Nothing is welcoming about it. And I guess I just don't I don't know if if what the film thinks about that. Yeah. I mean, I think the film acknowledges that 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 Primo and Secundo kind of suck at their jobs, right? It acknowledges that. Right. But to what extent does it does it attribute their failure to their sucking at their jobs versus Americans' rubbery? You know, I mean, that's sort of something that they give Ian Holm to say, though, right? He says Mm -hmm. a lot without saying it, but like he kind of puts it on them as. Oh, here here, we have a we have a clip. Yeah. A guy goes out to to eat in the evening after a long day in the office, whatever. He doesn't want on his plate something that he has to look and think, what the fuck is this? (laughs) No, right. What do you want is, hey, a steak. This is a steak. I like a steak, you know? Mmm, I'm happy. And God forbid we should think that the restaurant business is about making people happy. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think that y- you can you can kind of make this movie what you want it to be. Like, if you want it to be the searing indictment of ignorant American culture you can enjoy that as element of it. And if you want it to be the indictment of fancy assholes who won't bend even the slightest amount to make food that is pleasing to people in the market that they've chosen to operate a restaurant, you can see it as that, you know? Well, it's the mark of a good film. That kind of ambiguity is the mark of a good film. Would you, wouldn't you say? No, I like to, I like to know what the movie's about personally. <laughs> I really want it to hit me over the head with it. <laughs> Consider my head il timpano. I want I want it to be beaten into me. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Well, so uh, it, in this scene, it is revealed that uh, that things are not going well for the restaurant. Segundo needs a loan, um, yeah. and he's come to Pascal for it, and Pascal says no. 
He's trying to borrow from Pascal to pay Paul. Mm. You're just assuming that that very Anglo-American banker is named Paul? What the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an awful assumption on my part. I, I retract uh, that that joke. <laughs> and uh, and we 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 learn that really they're on the edge. But at the same time, in this scene, it, it is revealed, no, it is implied that Pascal has other reasons for wanting to see the brothers fail. Right. Um, one being that he he wants Primo especially to come and work for him at Pascal's to, to cook. Um, but the other is that he seems to be aware that uh, the Tooch is, is boning his beautiful wife, um, Isabella Rossellini, in addition to... Um, well, rather chastely not boning um, Mini Driver. Right. And and maybe Pascal's, you know, scuttling of the, of the restaurante, of their restaurante, Paradise, I think it's called, is to eliminate his romantic rival. Um, and I think, I think one of the things I really like about the film is that it is not explicit about Pascal's motives and I think Pascal is revealed over the course of the film to be a very complex person and who really actually has all three of those motives at all times, right? He's really the hero of the film. You're right. <laughs> are, are you saying that as a joke? Because I kind of think he is. I don't think you're wrong and that he's the most interesting character in the film. I think everyone else has... He's the most multidimensional. Everyone else has, has single or double dimensions, I'd say. Well, what are what are the Tooch's dimensions? Because he, we see him repeatedly being very cruel to Mini Driver, especially, but also to his brother. To really every, he snaps at everyone. And are we given to understand that that the Tooch's character is a bad guy, or that he's a, just a good guy under an enormous amount of pressure? Yeah, he's under a huge amount of stress, and he's he's experiencing the life of his business in a way that his brother isn't, and it's. I think it's natural when you're stressed out and frustrated to lash out at the people who are trying to love you. I am someone who does it all the time. Just ask Ben. Like, <laughs> sure, let's like, ask he's, Ben. He's he's carrying the stress and and keeping it all to himself too. Like he doesn't he he doesn't reveal what is bothering him to anyone. Uh, unless, is it pride that motivates that? He just doesn't want to doesn't want anybody to know that he's not good at this. Yeah, I, I mean, that sort of Because he feels... walks around in a suit that says otherwise, right? Right, yeah. I mean... There's a martyrdom to that kind of pressure, though, too. Like, I want to spare the people I care about the bad feelings that I'm experiencing at the moment, you know? Right. Yeah. And... I like they don't need to they don't need to worry about this if I if I'm handling it. Yeah. Um and the, the like the scene with Ian Holm is very interesting from that perspective because he's being vulnerable with like his greatest rival rather than all of the people that love him. <laughs> like Well, he sees he sees Ian Holm as like a father figure, right? Doesn't he? I guess so, but it's like it like I don't see anything about Ian Holm that would lead me to believe that that's like a good choice to see him as a father figure, you know, fathers provide Ian home provides. He bought a boat. Mm. He had, he had some good tips too. Like here are some like marketing ideas for your restaurant. Here's a way that I got some famous people in the front door at my place. Like 
like relying on Ian Holm to bring in the famous people is, is the big mistake, but he could have just listened to him and like thought about, okay, like who's, who's here in town at a, at a hotel. I'll send, I'll, I'll do the bottle of champagne to the hotel room trick, you know? Yeah. Or hell, you've got like Mark Anthony working there. Just, <laughs> right. Just have him sing for God's sake. Why do you need Louis Prima? <laughs> so have the, you thought the, about putting some mofongo on the menu and maybe <laughs> trying to appeal to a slightly different crowd? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> people, people in Jersey Shore love it these days. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so here we get to the sort of the animating thing of the whole of the whole film, where where uh, Pascal promises to get his buddy Louis Prima, the singer Louis Prima, to come to Ristorante Paradise and experience the genius there, and therefore spread the good word of the restaurant far and wide. Pretty um, annoying that there's going to be a guy named Prima in a movie that already has a character named Primo, I think. Yeah, but of those two, if you just go by their names, you know who's going to win. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, especially in a, in a, like a machismo-driven culture like the Italians, right? Like Primo's <laughs> coming on top. Uh, no comment. <laughs> I, I can say it. You can't say it. I can say it. I, I can't say it. That's right. Exactly. Um, so the boys go about, uh, preparing a feast for Mr. Louis Prima and his, and his entourage. And one of my favorite parts of the film is when, is when, uh, the Tooch who has just come back, by the way, from having sex with Isabella Rossellini, it is implied again, he, not that he wanted to, I mean, God, why would you want to, but because he needed some business help. Right. And so he, he got, he got the call of duty from, from Isabella Rossellini. He went and (laughs) he went in and did his duty. Um, and then he comes back and Minnie driver is there helping, uh, Tony Shalhoub cook and being delightful and, and beautiful. And, and, uh, so, you know, they're in the kitchen and they naturally get to smooch in and then Bilbo Baggins comes in and like sees them, you know, kind of catches them smooching in the in in the back, and he does that, you know, that very Italian thing where he just, oh, sorry, and he gets out of there because you know, you you know, a, a man of <laughs> a man does not block the cock, right? Like that <laughs> is, is what's in, what's what's said in that face, right? Oh right, no, no, right. no. But then he does the second most Italian thing, which is that he immediately comes back in because he is so in love with love. He's so enamored of what is happening in there that he just has to show appreciation and support for all of it. Right. And it's just the best. It's just the best. I love it. I love these people. Um, The, uh, the crowd that winds up getting invited to the, the meal is also really funny. It's just kind of like everybody they happen to run into over the course of the day. Like, Oh yeah, you should come to the big dinner. Yeah. It's, there's a kind of like magnificent seven vibe to it, right? Like it's a posse film. It's like, it's rounding up the posse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there are cut scenes where, cause there's, you know, there's plenty of people in the, at the feast that we didn't see their backstory of how they got there. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we see I'm, the, we see the Cadillac salesman. Um, we know that the, we know why the newspaper reporter is there to report right. on Louis Prima's visit, but big yeah, news. there's a bunch of people there. We don't, yeah. Big news. <laughs> that, that is back when newspapers had enough <laughs> reporters to yeah. send not even like an intern, but a grown ass man in a suit yeah. to a, a restaurant in a necktie <laughs> to report on the possibility that Louis Prima ate there. What was his deadline exactly if he was there until 3 a.m.? 
<laughs> well, that's that's back when they had the afternoon papers, right? So I guess so. Yeah. Stop the presses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prima and- eats timpano. <laughs> Also, during this kind of Magnificent Seven rounding up the gang period of the film, we see uh, Tony Shalhoub um, go over to the flower lady who is revealed to be C.J. Craig from the West <laughs> Wing. Um, and I actually really feel bad that I don't know her name because I think she's a marvelous actress. A- Alison uh, Janney. Alison Janney, that's right, yes. And looking, uh, Also looking lovely in this movie. Abs- oh, gosh. All, every, every woman in this, in this film is just a, a dream to look at. Um, oh, yes. And Liv Schreiber, also a dream to look at. Fucking yeah. assholes. <laughs> Liv, Liv Schreiber, like, kind of an extra in this movie. Like, I don't even think he has an on-screen credit. I feel like Liv Schreiber has that effect in movies. In many movies that he's not the star of, you always get that, is that Liv Schreiber kind of moment? <laughs> and then, And then, really, like, 90% of the time it is. It is, yeah, exactly. That's right, yeah. 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 So it is revealed that Alice and Janie and the Shub are both hot for each other, but the Shub can't get himself together to say anything about it. And this is the era when the dude has to be the one to say something about it. Um, and so all of this sets up the big dinner scene, which like, it's, it's so funny. It's like, there's this class. I feel like there's a class of movies that are defined by one section. Right. And, and it's almost as though like nobody really cares about the rest of it. Right? right. There's like movies where it's like it's they'll call it the scene, but it's not a scene. Right. It's a it's a whole sort of act. Right. Um, but and this is that act. Right. It's the the dinner scene, the dinner act. Very much so. Although I would say I would argue that the omelet in this movie is like a also also the scene level scene. Well, that's the coda. And we'll get there. Um, yeah. And yeah. But in the in the dinner. Basically, there's this tension happening throughout it. And oh, 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 we should mention the, the, the star dish of the evening is going to be this thing that the brothers say they, they have brought from Calabria and is called timpano. Let's listen. Timpano oh my God. is a pasta. No. With a special crust. No. no. And is it, no. is it shaped no. Like, no. like a drum? No. Like a timpani drum. What do you do? Why don't you do something? And the hymn side. Come on, please, my God. All of the most important things in the world. <laughs> and indeed, this is a very impressive baked pasta dish when it comes out, right? It's like uh, it's like wrapped in pasta sheets. Yeah. But on the inside, what's there? It's like penne and tomato sauce and like some, you know, some like uh, some ricotta Hard cheese. Hard-boiled eggs. Hard-boiled eggs, like. right? Which is like, it that, that's the most funny. exotic thing in it. If he combined risotto and meatballs and pasta and stuff, like totally contradicting his feelings from the earlier scene. <laughs> this is the only way I like to combine these ingredients. That's right, exactly. Well, if I can put this in the language of my audience who are who are younger than me, it's uh, um, Tony Shalhoub, colon, never mix pasta and other things. Also yeah. Tony Shalhoub, colon, <laughs> mix pasta and all the things, right? Have you ever made this on your famous YouTube channel? Um, no, and I kind of don't want to because it's it's to me it's such a disappointment. Like it like grow like for me, you know, growing up in the the um, the like Pluto orbit of New York, um, in, uh, in in central Pennsylvania, like and like and and going to places 
that were that were where where basically these guys or their descendants were cooking, right? And I grew up with the assumption that all Italian food is just different spatial configurations of tomato sauce, pasta, ground beef, and ricotta cheese, right? Right. Like it's just those things put on top of each other in different ways. You Italian Taco Bell is what you thought of it as, huh? <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Fair comparison. Hey, it's all the Mediterranean basin. Uh-huh. Because everyone knows Taco Bell is just like Iberian Spanish cuisine. <laughs> yeah. I think if there's one takeaway anyone could could grasp from this show, it's that. It's that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Um, I... I mean, I have to say this looked really delicious to me. I uh I've been making my own uh pasta lately and I know you make your own pasta a lot. Um the goose on your on your show. Um and the idea of like hand rolling the ziti that go in the timpano. Yeah. It's like I bet this actually is really awesome. <laughs> it is and and it makes certainly it makes great film. I mean, just god, yeah. the 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 making of fresh pasta is one of the most beautiful things to behold. It and really here is. it in like grainy 1990s film stock, it looks so beautiful and so much like I I cannot shoot flower to save my life. Like it it's going to get blown out no matter what I do. Yeah. And um I don't I've often asked you guys for help with that and my advice was to toast it. i uh i was full after the uh after the opening courses of this movie though like by the like the timpano comes out and i'm like how the fuck are they gonna have courses after the courses we already had and then after this also like everybody's getting a wedding cake size wedge of the timpano and then there's going to be yeah, chicken and that? fish how the fuck do you serve that because it's like this tall like even if you did an incredibly thin slice it would still be like a complete dinner plate it's of like food. 1600 calories in yeah. in a quarter inch thick slice there's some honesty in this film about what an assault this meal is for everyone involved oh yeah right? oh yeah yeah lots of those lots of those those shots of like everybody just being like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that one lady the- like lying down on the table <laughs> <laughs> i do think I, that's that's very real i also you know i think we all three of us know that very real feeling that is captured very authentically where they're just like do we cut it? No, it's too hot. Like it's gonna, it's gonna fall apart. It needs to set, right? Right. And they're just agonizing over that moment, and then they're about to cut it, and they're like, "No!" You know, cut it in front of everybody. Yeah. If Which, you're gonna blow it, blow it big. That yeah, that is doing it on hard mode because if it hasn't set enough and they no, cut you, it, then no, it just no, no, like no, 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 it gives it time to cool down because especially it's gonna be, it's gonna, it's gonna be exposed to so much air as you carry it through. Oh yeah, you know? as they, they go the 15 feet out into yeah. the dining room. Yeah, fuck. The <laughs> shoe thing, knows about thermodynamics. Okay, like that thing is so big and so deep. It's got to take like two hours to to set, right? Like. Like oh, just you, to cool, just to cool. Yes, it's like you a, take a lasagna out of the oven. You probably don't want to serve it for like thirty minutes, but yeah, you yeah. take il timpano out of the oven, like, <laughs> like take it out at noon, and it's going to be ready by dinner time, right? Yeah, it's true. But that very moment that like where they're they're about to cut in, they stop. Like that spoke to me so hard because <laughs> what I do all day is like fear making the irreparable action right when i'm like shooting food like i you know everything else that i can get multiple shots of whatever like but like you the just thing, described me and ben socially 
<laughs> what, what's the last irreparable action that happened between the two of you? Mm. And is there footage? Can I see it? Almost no daily, comment. they happen. <laughs> um, yeah, the um, I, I, I like making pie, and this is also a thing that you deal with with pie. Is like, mm. oh, uh, like you got you got you to gotta let it sit on the windowsill and hope yeah. that a hobo doesn't steal it. Right, and my neighborhood is just lousy with bows, so. <laughs> You know, <laughs> serves me right for buying a, a house right next to the, the rail yard, you know. <laughs> yeah, you get to yeah. shovel off your, your driveway, Ben. There's like a thousand um, bindles out there. And I'm like, hey, you want lunch? And you're like, I have had enough boiled boot for one <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, like, it makes me, that, that raises the question. It's like these kinds of like multi-course, multi-multi-multi-course extravaganzas of dining. We yeah. read about them in the historic record, right? Like this is how like the Romans theoretically ate or whatever, or at least the, the patrician <laughs> among them, right? And mm-hmm. what and I, when uh, like, Primo I and Secundo head uh, back to Italy to help their uncle, it's how the Romans will eat again, my friend. <laughs> 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 that was some good show, don't tell, because I was going to have to be like, you know, with some here's some exposition, there's the stakes, like they're thinking about going back to Italy, and that's like, if they're going to have to go back if this dinner doesn't go well. But there you go, you did the show, don't tell. There did was it. also a stunning bit of show, don't tell at the very beginning of this film, where um, Tony Shaloub is like, you know, asks if something needs more salt, but he asks in Italian. And, mm-hmm. or Calabrian, I should say. Um, and uh, and uh, the Tooch's says hmm and the way he says it is like he's he's saying like no 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 we're talking we're supposed to talk english here because i need to get you better at this okay remember that's what we're doing here ask me in english and not only does that tell us a whole bunch about like their relationship and their where they're at in life and all of that but it also establishes for the film why they're speaking english right right and we don't have we're not wondering that the whole time like we're wondering you know why is uh why is um, um, William Wallace 40 years old in Braveheart the whole time? Like one line of dialogue could have fixed that. You know, I've been fighting in France as a mercenary or something, right? Like that's why right. I just came back now. Could have fixed it. Could have fixed it. They chose not to. <laughs> also a film with an ending that really made me hungry. <laughs> Ayo. <laughs> well done. So Louis love, Prima doesn't show. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a waiting for Godot type of mm. uh, story arc here. Like yes. the, uh, I mean, like they don't even sit down to dinner till super late because because of the waiting for Louis Prima right. issue. I was uh, I was waiting for him to come in like after everybody had finished with Il Timpano and been like, hey, we got a second Timpano. Don't worry, it's coming out That's right true, now because they did allow for that possibility. Yeah, in the film, like there's the moment where like. Where where the Tooch says no, don't 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 turn out the second Timpano because that one's for Louis Prima, and it didn't occur to me until you said it, Ben. But yeah, that's the film actually trying to hold out suspense for us, the audience, that we might still believe that 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 uh, that Louis Prima could actually show up because we don't know at that point yet that Pascal, in fact, never called Louis Prima because Pascal wants the brothers to fail for at least three different, very compelling reasons. <laughs> what happened to the second timpano? Did I miss the scene where they threw it in the trash or they had it for family meal the next day? Or, Why didn't or they just eat that in the morning instead of making eggs? That's what I'm saying. Also, yeah. maybe, was this the moment that they left open for the sequel? Like, Big Night 2, 
Timpano <laughs> two, two Timpano two periods, <laughs> two Timpano. I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> I think it was actually a deleted scene where uh, when they were fighting on the beach, Tony Shalhoub smashes it over Secundo's head. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a lost opportunity. That would have been because you could totally right? do that. You could yeah. totally <laughs> smash that over someone's head. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been epic. Oh, but instead. Uh, the brothers, just after their plan has failed and Louis Prima hasn't uh, turned up, they have a, a sort of an epic row on the beach outside the restaurant where they sort of tell, tell each other how, they're, how they actually feel about each other. And I think the most like sci-fi element of this film is that neither of them has a dot of tomato sauce on their, like, like Tony Shalhoub is in a white chef's jacket. Uh, the Tooch is in a white tuxedo jacket. No, they've been cooking all night. Like both mm-hmm. of them have been in the kitchen cooking. Neither of them has a spot on their clothes until they get in a fight on the beach. See, no, no, no. You're 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 in the you're in the headspace of like you know modern digital videography, right? Where it's uh, this, yeah. this isn't 4K. This is like this is fucking <laughs> film, right? Grainy ass film too, right? It is. And um, what did you make of Tony Shalhoub's arms looking like two bearskin rugs? When when any professional <laughs> chef would have had all that hair singed off the, the first week in the kitchen. <laughs> Let's see your arms to find out if you're a real man. Yeah. No. Have you guys seen that, uh, the state sketch where they're like, it's like an Italian family that owns a restaurant and the Pope is coming to dinner and they're, they're all wearing white because they're really excited that the Pope is coming. And then one of them comes out with a huge pot of tomato sauce and it just turns into a tomato sauce fight. <laughs> oh, you got a little sauce on my nice white jacket. <laughs> I wanted that scene in this movie. Yeah. So that, that aspect w- beggars belief, but also this fight on the beach. What is ostensibly the light source for that fight? It's the, it moon, is the middle man. of the night and there's light coming from the ocean. That's lighting them. Yeah. What's yeah. there that's lighting them? I like how Mini Driver is spotlit in the ocean too. That's fun. But with pathos too, because she's sad, right? And right. that's the yeah. moment where she leaves Segundo because she knows about Isabella Rossellini. And, and then we get to the final scene, another one shot, right? Another long lingering one shot. And apparently this is the scene, like MGM was going to distribute this film and they didn't. Because they wanted the ending changed. Whoa. And they wanted them to eat the second timpano, huh? <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> That's totally what those executives would have said, right? Like what we need, that tom- that timpano, it's like the it's it's the it's the cat you gotta save, right? It's the This is yeah. what I am on all our review shows. All the shows I'm on with Ben is like I represent the executive's point of view. Well, sure. <laughs> if you don't, who will? Yeah. It's very brave uh, yeah. <laughs> spot for you to stake out, Adam. <laughs> um, the there are many elements of this scene that are very difficult to pull off, mm-hmm. like the making making the omelet. In yeah, one we should say we should shot. say for people who haven't seen it. So yes, uh, um, the Tooch, after having been out all night following this row and this devastating, you know, failure, comes back into the kitchen. Mark Antony is asleep on the, like a cat on the, uh, <laughs> on the counter. <laughs> on the chef's and, table, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, the, and the Tooch proceeds to make an omelet 
to just to just feed 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 his staff, his staff of one, his 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 cat Mark Anthony. Is um, the food safety rating of this restaurant just a Mr. Yuck face outside given <laughs> <laughs> given where, given Shaloub's hairy arms and where the 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 staff sleeps at night, <laughs> yeah, and that sink like, that doesn't work, you can't open a restaurant with. You're a, not counting an on the naturally antimicrobial properties of wooden cutting boards, which mm. my audience loves to remind me about. Yeah, because hey, is this I, seasoning the cutting board, Goose? Oh. You just season it with an employee. Oh God, you bring it here. <laughs> you bring it to my home. My home. Uh, in my bedroom where my wife sleeps. Yeah. I didn't I didn't catch which of the two omelet plates he put the vinegar on though. Was it the one on the right or on the left? You're you're implying that he he made like a chemical bomb for <laughs> for uh Shaloub. The really hard thing about this scene is that all three actors eat what amounts to an entire meal. So if you need to reset, they have to eat a meal again. Dude, that's not even I mean, I will I'll grant you that. But the much harder thing than eating a third of an omelet <laughs> is for the Tooch to, while he's like, you know, he's also ostensibly, you know, co-directing this film, by the way. So he's like not only right. starring in the scene, he's directing it. He's like making sure, you know, that he's hitting all his marks and his blocking and he's, you know, he's in the, sh- the frame and all that kind of shit. And then he cooks an omelet start to finish in the film in what? In a fucking stainless steel pan. Okay, yeah. not even a cast iron, a fucking stainless pan. He cooks not scrambled eggs, but a omelet that flows out of it's, the pan like water. It slips right out. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I question whether or not those were real eggs or or movie <laughs> stunt eggs, eggs movie eggs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like made, made out of like the cornflakes that they use to simulate snow or whatever. Yeah, it's actually yeah, the one digital effect in the movie. Is, <laughs> the movie uh, that's right. <laughs> Because everyone knows it's not possible. No, no, no. It's possible. Actually, the movie proves how it's possible, which is that you put half the bottle of olive oil (laughs) into the pan before you put in the eggs. And that's the secret. (laughs) I'm wondering if that pan was also pre-hot. Like, because I know know that uh, in my experience, I get less sticking to the pan when... I let the the pan heat up for quite mm-hmm. a while before I before I drop the eggs in. So and there is enormous I, controversy about why that is. Oh, really? Um, yes, because like like people say that it's like oh well it's it's about like the micropores in the metal filling up due to mm-hmm. the thermal expansion of the metal, and then people are just like, well, wait a minute, but when you take a piece of metal and get it hot, it expands in all directions. It doesn't just expand inward. And then an asshole like me comes in and says, well, actually the bottom is getting hotter than the rim. So the rim is constricting the expansion. So it's causing yeah, it you, to sort of force inward into the forget about then, the rim, Goose. Right. <laughs> you got to focus on, on the whole thing. And then if you check your, your Google mentions, you might find portions of the internet that are arguing that it's a secret conspiracy of the Jews to make the pan not <laughs> indeed, stick. Indeed. But I'm not going to click on that one. I'm going to click on the conversation at hotrims.net. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, where I, uh, that's where my email server is. You know what? You should, you should do some research on the website for uh, people who make just the outside of all pans, rimjobs.com. <laughs> <laughs> Audience, this is the kind of quality entertainment that you can get in your pod feed twice a week from the Greatest Trek family of podcasts. 
Do you know yeah. uh, the trivia of how many times they shot this before they nailed it? Because to me, the money shot, the mm-hmm. the craziest part is the pan away from the pan when uh, when Tooch goes and gets another plate with the egg still on heat, and yeah. like you've got to know, you've got to know within fractions of an angle on the knob of the oven, what you're working with there temperature wise. Otherwise, when the pan comes back, you're looking at a fire. It's true because <laughs> basically, you know, so, so Shaloub comes in very late in this process and his reconciliation with his bro- brother is wordlessly signified by Shaloub sitting down and, and, uh, and uh, the tooch going and getting him that remaining third of omelet that's in the pan that for some reason is not burned. Secundo's like, what do you think about pivoting into a breakfast restaurant? <laughs> this is what he's not saying. <laughs> you will note like that. I mean, it, maybe it wasn't burned, but that omelet was cooked the fuck through because yeah. that's how the Italians do it. Okay. Like they do not do, they're not French. It's this is not France. Okay. Nothing custardy about yes, that. they cooked yeah. shit all the way through, and so I think that's why. Does that it make worked. it a frittata? Is that a, is that what that would be called? I don't know if it would technically because it wasn't baked. Is 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 not a frittata baked, or is that merely my Americanized sense of it? The executives wanted this scene to end with Shaloub going like, I, I thought there was going to be seafood in this omelet, <laughs> and, I'm, exactly. and I'm digging around in here, and... I'm just not finding my shrimps. Yeah. If you, if you know that this technically counts as a frittata, just leave a comment on Stormfront. Let us know. <laughs> I'm sure someone will let us know about that. But to your point, Adam, actually, did you notice that like the eggs are blown out, really blown out in the pan? Uh, which is to mean, yeah. just to say, for, uh, it's overexposed. Like yeah. they didn't quite plan for how bright the well, eggs. Well, I mean, be. everything in this kitchen is blown out. Like I, I mentioned earlier, like the Reservoir Dogs type of lighting that they used mm. is like so many movies in 1996 looked like this, and it's why I, I've saw this movie for the first time last night with you, and it was so nostalgic to see it because it looked like. A dozen other films. That- it looks like the Friends set. That kitchen looks like the set of Friends. <laughs> it does. Man. Why? Why were they lighting shit that way then? I mean... I mean, it's an indie movie from the late 90s aesthetic. Yeah, so why wouldn't it be dark and, and grainy? It should, look, it should look like a movie from the 70s. It should be like, what the hell? I can't even see what's happening. I can't even... It's an overcorrection, Goose. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that this movie is kind of pitched as 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 a comedy slash drama. Like it, it's it's not like a, a real it's it's not a knee slapper, but uh, but it does have kind of comedy lighting. I would say it's not it's not super dramatically lit. I know? think that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. I think you're right. It's sort of it's lit like a it's lit like a romantic comedy. Right. Um. It's not lit like uh. It's not lit like The Godfather. They yeah. didn't light Mini Driver's vomit. That was a choice they made. Like everything else is <laughs> everything else is lit super hot except for Mini Driver's vomit. <laughs> Which by the way, did she just get overserved? Oh, I thought it was implied that she is with child. What? I, I, oh, wait, asked, no, but no, but they're chased. They said they established at the beginning yeah. that they're not boning yet. I, I I asked my wife if that was if if the implication was that she was pregnant and she laughed at me. So, <laughs> well, I guess it's not the morning. <laughs> but the thing, that my problem with that scene is that it, when you know, 
No one sounds like they're coughing when they're vomiting. That is not what vomiting sounds like. I'm a famously loud vomiter. Like, Hmm. I really... I would think, yeah. There's a lot of sound involved, and that's, for that reason, I found that scene unbelievable with Well, you're very tall, so it's it's got a long, big trip. Yeah, a lot of of yards to be covered. There's there's actually some stops involved. It's not an express. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There there are locks in the river. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You got got to wait until some more ships show up because they're not going to fill up the lock just for you, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Come on, man. Come on. You got to pack a lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Anywho, so that's the film. Did you like it, boys? I love this film. I love uh, love this pace of film. This is... uh, not a pace of film that is uh, really done anymore. And I, uh, I really, you know, I think uh, maybe that's, that is a a pretty subjective matter of taste, but um, I like how it just tells its story in a very matter of fact way and doesn't try to unfold it at at a clip to keep you interested. And uh, there's some self-confidence in that, that, I really like, and I also like that the movie is not uh, it's not a happy movie. It's not a, a movie about a a struggle to overcome something that yields super enviably <laughs> successful results. Um, and I think that uh, like that's a real kind of story, you know. Like the hey, we like gave it our best shot and it didn't work out. Uh, is uh it's it's tough but it's it's real and, but isn't um, that isn't that the happy ending of the film that in in failing to save their business they actually achieved what they were set out what they had set out to achieve which is to make exactly the kind of night that they made for all of their lucky guests right yeah yeah i guess so i mean and that's uh, what you should have I, told the bank loan guy like look right. i know you see what i'm doing here is a restaurant but we're just trying to make one great night yeah, why didn't they invite Paul? Why didn't they invite Paul to the dinner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- then maybe he would have given them an extension on the loan. That's the that's the happy ending that I think you expect from a film with a title "Big Night." You know, mm. like they finally impress the guy; they get the big win in the end. Ben, when you saw this film for the very first time, how long did you hang on to the hope? Because seeing it last night, I hung on to the hope way into the movie, like wow. all the way to the end, maybe into the next morning, like thinking. Uh, Eventually, like by virtue of when this film was made, we were going to oh, get what a sweet like, man you are, Adam Pranica. What a sweet the, man. the happy. Everybody ending. went home and told their friends about how great the food was, and that like people would start streaming in for lunch. The, it's a wonderful life ending of like they they open up the door after eating the omelet to open the next day, and there's like a lineup and the newspaper yeah. articles out there, and like <laughs> it's changed everything. I was 13 when this movie came out, and I saw it in the theater, and. Whoa. Um, so I'm, I imagine that I you have to sneak into it. <laughs> it is weird. I don't know why the choice to make it an R-rated film was a little bit yeah. interesting because it's really just only a little bit of language, and they yeah. could have just had them curse in Italian, and they could have this could have been a PG. Yeah, there wasn't even a booby in there. No, um, you sell more tickets when it's R, right? <laughs> Especially if you're an indie movie. That's what they say, right? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, so I don't, I don't remember exactly what my mindset was at the time, but I imagine that, that, uh, that, that 
the happy ending, the bow tying up the film would have been what I expected given my age and mm-hmm. uh, incredible, incredible amount of naivete at the time. Well, it could have been. I feel like if the film were made today as like a gritty fuck you to the audience <laughs> in indie film, right? It would have, it could have ended a lot darker. I mean, especially because Ian Holm is the heavy in this movie, and you know mm-hmm. Ian Holm has that gear in him to yes. not just be moody at a piano, to be, but to be threatening and dark. But he doesn't yes. go all the way into that gear. He could have destroyed them. Just, just yeah. emotionally, it would have right. been, you know. But he, it's the tiniest little bit of where he says, like, I know your brother is a genius. What kind of man are you? Right. That's right. the only, that's the, that's, he just digs that. It's just the tip of the knife, you know? Yeah. yeah. And... And at the at the end of, at the end the the brothers reconcile. Did they set their own chef on fire and kick him out? Is that what happened to that guy? Yeah, the I scene? think so. They tried yeah. to they tried to immolate a man. Yeah, instead of fire him. <laughs> that's why you know Ian Holm is capable of that kind of threat because because yeah. of what they did to that one chef. <laughs> he woke up that morning and chose violence. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean. Kind of a weird accent from Ian Holm in this movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's not even from the Mediterranean basin. That guy, he's just no. Where, where's he's just from? You know, Belgravia or something. Like he's from London. Very um, weird cultural appropriation. Did oh, not yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Did not like. Mm-hmm. So objectionable. Mm-hmm. I think- Ian Holm in olive face. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Olive face is now going to be a thing. <laughs> Olive Face could be like the name of this podcast. Oh man. Uh you which should is, do which it. Is untitled as of this recording. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, it's a bit of a trend among food podcasts. There's Carb Face. You could be Olive Face. <laughs> Cuz those things are very comparable. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I I Upon rewatching the film, I, I was amazed by a lot of its technical achievements. Those, you know, those one shots are unbelievable. Um, the whole dinner thing is so, it's just, everything is so beautifully shot. The, the scene where Ian Holm, um, lights a few pieces of paper on fire and they kind of alight like birds, you know, and. Is that how he set his chef on fire in his restaurant? Like an accident (laughs) doing that trick? And the chef float up into the air and you catch him in your hand. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But like, there's, there's like. There, there emits from the sort of people watching this like a really sincere like oh, sound that is yeah. is got to be like real. It's like that's not acting. That's like a real human reaction. And for it all to be on film the way it is, and 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 you know, except for the eggs at the end, perfectly exposed. It's like I, I don't. It's just it's incredible. But at the same time, there it's 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 an opera, and is very arch and broad in ways that bothered me this time around. Like hmm. just, I mean, especially like the way those 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 idiot Americans are painted in the restaurant in the beginning. Yeah, who's who's going to have the bravery to paint the Americans in a good light? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here for. You're right, Goose. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a man of the people. God damn it, I'm a man of the people. Yeah, yeah. In the uh, in the greatest Trek family of uh, Trek recap podcasts, you you boys uh, bestow an honor are called the Drunk Shimoda. 
Mm. Um, we do. Which is sort of the, we, we won't explain the backstory. There's a whole wikia where uh, you can read about uh, all of the in-jokes or memes. As the When did, when did in-jokes get rebranded as memes? They're just in-jokes. Um, yeah. All of the memes that are in uh, uh, Greatest Trek Family of Podcasts, you can read about those on the internet. But Drunk Shimoda is uh, the person who's just kind of having the most fun in 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 a show or a film at any given time or, or being wacky or something i wonder if we couldn't is is it uh the olive face shimoda wow yeah let's definitely call it that <laughs> who's who's your olive face goose <laughs> oh my olive face is mark anthony yeah no doubt like dude is just hanging out with his unbelievably glorious cheekbones you know the kind yeah. of cheekbones that, like, I wonder sometimes, like, I could have cheekbones that good. I've never been as lean as Mark Anthony, so who, who knows? They could he be He is there. a great singer, but Olive Face. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is legit Olive Facing it in this film, and he is having a blast, just hanging out, watching all of the madness go by. And he's like, I think he's like legit, he's like a shop cat. Like they portray him as like the, he really the, is, the, yeah. The dog. They in never the even talk to him. Like nobody tells him to do anything. It's never mm-hmm. like, hey, go sweep up or or. Hey, here's a question: Is he a slave? Oh Jesus! Whoa. Like, did they did they bring him over from the old country and then take his passport away? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Pretty dark, huh? Yeah, the stakes are what? the highest for him in this whole whole night. Yeah. What the fuck, Secundo? Maybe it's good that Ian Holm <laughs> ruined you. <laughs> yeah, wither, wither, wither Cristiano at the end of this film. Yeah, yeah. What does he? Where does he go and do? This is yeah. Well, this is the this is the Marxist reading of this film that I was hoping for. Is like, let's talk about <laughs> what happens to the working people. Do you have an olive Shimoda, Ben? Olive face Shimoda. I suppose I'll give it to Secundo for just the like, like the the thing that uh, was so remarkable to me about this man who carries all of this pressure on his shoulders, keeps it from all the people that he loves, is that he is also like chilling the most in this movie. Like, <laughs> yes, Primo's is in the kitchen. All fucking day, I and know. Secundo is like, "Hey, I'm gonna go test drive a Cadillac. I'm gonna right go right after uh, having sex with Isabella, Isabella Rossellini, which happened yeah. like, you know, like ten hours after he was making out in the car with um, Minnie Driver. He gets to do so many fun things despite all of the all of the gloom and doom that he's uh, he's carrying around with him. So, um, I." In some ways, that's kind of aspirational to me. Like, if if I'm stressed out, I need to remind myself, hey, go test drive a Cadillac, dude. Yeah, that's all <laughs> you, know? you need to do. <laughs> the work At- is going to get done by Primo, by Primo, not you. And Cristiano, who, yeah. who will clean up after it. Right. <laughs> and get no credit, unlike <laughs> Primo, who will get all the credit. It's uh, genius. <laughs> it's genius. Good, good system. Adam Pranica, do you have an olive face Shimoda? Yeah, I mean, you kind of brought it up tangentially. It's uh, Campbell Scott's Bob character, the the car dealership guy. Oh, yeah. Who kind of parachutes into this film from a totally different movie, I feel like, and is a character from somewhere else, some other movie even. He, he looks like he's coming in from that thing you do. Yeah, and I don't know, there was like that quality about him of of just being kind of a witness to things yet still going to the party and enjoying it as much as anyone else. The He drives away in a Cadillac with like 
with one conscious woman and one unconscious woman, which is pretty fucking sinister. Totally. But. Like, his end of the night is wild. His beginning of the day is wild. He does not seem to be, a, like, a very good car salesman, <laughs> which I like because especially after after his character is introduced, you're like, all right, here comes the hard sell. Like, yeah. Tooch cannot afford this car, and here comes this fucking asshole who's going to, like, break his heart by by yeah. sitting him in the driver's seat. But no, that wasn't it at all. They just like go for a drive and bond as two people in crazy job situations. And I mean, you get a lot of him in the beginning and almost none of him in the end. But like my eye always found Campbell Scott in mm. the in the frame because I was always interested in what he was doing. He was such an outsider to this whole thing. So uh, I dug his participation in the story quite a bit. I'll take it. He also had a very he had beautiful flowing hair and a big forehead, much like yourself. Yeah. Oh, I definitely <laughs> saw myself in Campbell yeah. Scott, for sure. Also, the uh, the broken hand that he doesn't want to talk about. That's... Yeah. He has no memory of how he got that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listeners, um, if you like uh, Star Trek or if you don't, if you just like listening to two idiots have fun hangs, uh, check out my friends, my dear friends, Adam Pranica, Benjamin R. Harrison over on uh, The Greatest Generation, where they are presently recapping uh, Star Trek Voyager. And uh, over or you could go to their other uh, podcast, which is Greatest Discovery, where they are recapping all of the the new Trek that is coming out these days, um, yeah. of which there is so much. And yeah. enjoy all of the original Adam Ragusea music on both of those shows. He That's created right. the, the theme songs for both of them. Tracks, hot tracks. Yeah. Fire tracks. Um, Fire. On the uh, Greatest Trek subreddit recently, big thread about how, how if you haven't listened to the Janeway song on the Goose's SoundCloud, you're really missing out. Oh, visionary. Visionary work over on the SoundCloud. How has that guy not been courted by what remains of the major labels yet? Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you, boys. This has been lovely. And uh, perhaps we could do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks, Goose. We love you. We'd be back anytime. I love you, boys. That was fun. And that's it for episode two of the Ragusia Pod. Remember, if you are watching this on my main YouTube channel, please do me a solid and subscribe to the podcast on the podcast app of your choice. Just search Adam Ragusia Podcast. I doubt I will be cross-posting the episodes to my main YouTube channel for very much longer. So if you want to keep on listening smash that subscribe button on a podcast app. Maybe we'll post the video version in a second YouTube channel that you could subscribe to. We'll see. Thanks for listening. End of show tagline still forthcoming. Talk to you next week.